Good morning. My name is Tim Krell, and uh, the scripture reading this morning will be taken from Psalm 50. Please, I invite you to join us by reading your Bible or join me on the screens behind. And it is Psalm 50, verses 1 through 23. The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. He summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. But to the wicked person, God says, What right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But I now arraign you and set my accusations before you. Consider this. You who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces and no one to rescue you, with no one to rescue you. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless, I will show my salvation. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Good to see you all here this morning. There's a little bit of a church planter in me who feels like, who's going to show up next week? And I'm always surprised people show up to church on Sunday. So it's really good to see you all. (laughs) We've been in the book of Psalms this summer. The Psalms are a collection of prayers and songs, poems, and chants. Last week, we talked about this idea of blessing. The title was Bless You. And we said that if you want to bless somebody, it's not just saying something nice or wishing them well, but it's really about having a vision for the other person, a vision of the good, the better, the intended ideal for them. 
And then we are called not just to see that vision, but to say it. And not just to say it, but to stay in relationship with them. That's really what a blessing is. And we said that we seek this out. We long for this with all of our beings. We long for somebody to see us and to speak truth into our lives and then to stay in relationship with us as a way to help catalyze and bring that vision uh, into reality. Today, I want to go uh, similarly along with that theme. I want to talk about this idea of being thankful. The title is Thank You. What does it mean when you say thank you? And why does God want us to say thank you at all times? The basic outline for today goes something like this. God owns everything. He has no needs. I love the line. My favorite line in the chapter is, if God were hungry, would he tell you? I love that. God owns everything. He has no needs. Now, by implication, that means we own nothing. We ourselves are owned. The passage tells us that every creature belongs to God, so we are owned. And therefore, we cannot possibly give to God anything. Therefore, our main job then is to receive. Because there's nothing else we can do. There's nothing else we have. Unless we are given to, we die, we perish. So we have to receive. Our main job is to receive. And because that's our job, it's our job also to be conduits of God's giving. So we give God's stuff to other people so they can have God's stuff too, just like we have it. So some things we receive directly from God, some things we receive from people, but it's from God. So our job is to receive, and then our job is to say thank you after we receive it. And then our job is to ask for more. Because remember, you can't give. And so you have to ask for more. You don't have, so you have to ask for more. And then the scriptures teach that straying from this most basic truth creates great stress in us personally and in our relationships and in our society. So if you think your life is about possession, you're going to be possessed. You're going to be demonized. You're going to be not yourself because God made you to be a receiver to somebody, as somebody who says thank you and then in faith and trust asks for more. And if you're not doing that, you're not being yourself. You're dispossessed. And your possessions begin to possess you. So what God wants of us, the gospel truth, the good news is live as receivers who say thank you and ask for more. And two, live as conduits of God's giving so that God gets the glory and not us. So that's basically the whole sermon. If you want it in three minutes, there it is. Let's, let's go 20 more minutes. Two points today. First, morality. And second, humanity. Begin with morality. Verse 1. The mighty one. God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. First question, how does the sunrise and the sunset work? We used to think the sun moved. The sun doesn't move around us. We move around the sun. And we rotate also, right, on, on the earth's axis. Now, 
Is it God that causes the sun rising and the sun setting to work? Or is it physics? Is it God or is it physics? Verse 1 says, the mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to where it sets. What causes the movement of the celestial beings? Is it God or physics? Jesus actually answers this question in the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, he says, God causes the sun to rise on the good and the evil. Again, is it God or is it physics? Does God cause the sun to rise apart from physics? Like God hates physics. He's anti-physics. He's anti-science. God created physics. There's a genius behind the whole system, you know. The system we understand as life, as reality. God made that. The matrix, God made it. It's an expression of his order, his creative power, his just intellectual capacity. And physics is the means of his power and grace. And that's why we see God when he is bringing his people to trial. When he says, bring your accusations to me, I will bring my accusations to you. And to make sure this whole thing is official, let's call in some witnesses. Who bears witness? It's created order. If you see in the New Testament, several times in the New Testament, a couple of times, including Romans 1 and 2, in the New Testament, who's always sitting in the seat of the jury? It's always creation. God says, creation, you bear witness. They will testify against you. They are going to be part of this whole thing because they were there from the beginning. So what we see from verse 1 is that grace, God's love, God's power, God's goodness, God's presence on earth is not compartmentalized. It doesn't, uh, it's not conveyed through a vacuum. But things like our personality, our work, our effort, energy, the physical laws of the universe, all of these things are part of God's grace. And they are used as means of God's grace. You know, sometimes you say thank you. Well, in reality, we should be saying thank you all the time because every single thing, every single bit of you, everything you've ever encountered, everything you know, Everything you don't know, everything in existence is, a, is because of God's grace and because of God's power. There's nothing you are or have or have seen that's not God. Everything originates from God. The New Testament is about grace, but so is the Old Testament, and so is the Testament before that. If there was one. It's always God's grace. It's always God, scriptures tell us that if God withdrew his breath, nothing could exist. Gone. Existence itself is an expression of God's grace. Life is not conveyed through a vacuum, but through creation and circumstances and personality and work. All God, all the time, every time. What does this mean? 
Verse 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. Now you get the sense that God's really condescending himself to our little world. It's, it's silly that we might think God has a need for a goat. It's like God's up there going, I really wish I had me a goat today. Where do I get me one of those? Is there a newer model out? Verse 10, for every animal in the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. It's an expression. He's not saying the thousand and one hill. That's yours. He's saying everything is mine. Verse 11, I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all that is in it. Justice, truth, love, the fabric of society and the universe, what we call morality begins and ends with this primal truth that God is the source of everything, that God is the creator of the universe. Genesis means beginning. God is our genesis. He is the alpha, the absolute beginning, and the, and the omega, the absolute end. Verse 4, he summons the heavens above and the earth that he may judge his people. You heavens, come, bear witness to what I am saying, who I am. Verse 6, and the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Suddenly we see this word justice. And what God is saying is this. Morality is not about personal righteousness. It's not about you and your little set of behaviors, your code of ethics that you stick to for your own way of feeling good about yourself. That's not what morality is about. Morality is about a violation of this most primal truth that God is the Lord of everything. He is the source of everything. He owns everything. He created everything. If you don't live in this understanding that everything you are and have has been received from above. That every good gift has been given to you from God. Then you begin to become a possessor of it. You begin to hoard it. You feel greed rising in your hearts. Then you create nine-tenths of the law to help guide human behavior because you want to guard your stuff. And you need to get more stuff on top of your stuff. And you will do anything and everything to get more stuff and make sure your stuff is protected. And life is about your stuff. And when you begin to live that way, you start violating morality. You're not living out of the reality that God is the source. Amoral, to be amoral, is to violate the reality of the grace of God. This is what in this verse, is called injustice. Morality, then, is about how to treat others in the light of God as creator and source. And so the Old Testament defines and describes morality as how we treat immigrants and orphans and widows. We, we study Sodom and Gomorrah, two very famous cities that God destroyed, 
And we, because of our own individualistic understanding of morality, we think it's because they were sexually impure. But what we know from the Bible itself is because they mistreated the immigrants and the orphans and the widows. Therefore, God wanted to destroy them. The New Testament talks about sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, lepers and the poor. People who are easy to exploit, to disenfranchise, to disconnect from humanity itself. And really God is saying, if I really were the creator, if everything is from me and everything you think you are, the big shot you think you are, what if all that was not a work of your hands? What would it look like to not exploit, abuse, use, deceive, traffic, judge, hate, despise, or ignore people around you? That's called being moral. For example, when the Bible talks about sexuality, namely premarital sex, which is another sermon, I won't get into that, but we understand it as premarital sex being about personal purity, personal holiness, Primarily, it's about the non-abuse of other people in your life. How do you honor God's child? And the Bible teaches you honor God's child within the context of a, a committed relationship which is striving to mimic the unconditional love of God. Ask me how I want my daughters treated. It's not about your righteousness. It's about my daughters. And this is what God is saying. This whole earth is mine. How will you honor me on this planet? You have never met an object God did not love. Do you hear that? Every insect? Are you kidding me? God could have his insects. But there it is. Who are the immigrants, the orphans, the widows, the sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, the poor among us in your life, in your world? How is their exploitation, abuse, and invisibility playing out in your life? And then, of course, we have verse 22. Consider this. You who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. That's exactly what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's morality. Second, humanity. Verse 14, 15, and then 23. 14 says, Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. Verse 15, And call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Verse 23, Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, and to the blameless I will show my salvation. God is saying, Receive. Freely receive. Say thank you. And then ask for more. This is your job as a human being. But let me tell you, as a human being, it's a really, really hard job. It's really hard to receive. My yoga pass ran out. I love yoga, but I just couldn't get myself to pay it anymore. A friend, a really good friend, heard that I had stopped going to yoga. And they went out and they bought me a pass. And you know why it's really, really humiliating to receive this gift? Because I know they just lost their job. Out of their severance, they bought me a yoga pass. 
And it was, I was perpetually touched for like 24-7 for four days. I just couldn't get over this gift. And it's so hard to receive because it exposes the sinfulness of who I am. I was embarrassed to receive this gift, yet I felt so loved and touched. And why receiving is so hard is because it releases me from my control. It's an indictment to the fact that I can't do it for myself. I'm not as good or competent as I want to believe about myself. So when somebody gives and I'm in a position to receive, it's hard. Several of you have brought me food over these last couple of weeks as we are undergoing kitchen renovations. And it is so nice to receive. But man, do I feel like I better rush over and say thank you as quick as possible so I can get some semblance of control back, really. It's not an easy thing to receive. Receive, say thank you, and ask for more. And when we give, When we are the givers and the tables have turned, we don't give as the source. We didn't create anything. We give as conduits of God's gifts, as stewards, so that God gets the glory. Twice you see in verse 14, 15, and 23 the phrase, honor me. We don't want to honor God. We want to honor me, not honor him. Somehow I want to get the credit. But in reality, if I'm living out of this reality that God is creator, then God gets the glory. Because really, 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 it's not yours. It's not yours. Paul asks the question to the Corinthian church, what do you have that you didn't receive? Name one thing, one thing in your life that you didn't receive. Just name one. This is what Paul is saying. What do you have? And then he asks the follow-up question, then why do you act as if you haven't received it? Because if you received it, surely you should give it. Surely. Surely there's nothing to boast. It is so difficult because we love glory. We are in such a perpetual state of deficit that we will steal glory at any given opportunity. Oh God, I want glory. I want power. I want control. That's human nature crying out out of its ridiculous level of deficit. Always in a perpetual state of need. And we steal it from the only person who actually has it. That's God. Ecclesiastes 2, 26. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. I want to share with you a story. I can't remember if I shared this before. Uh, but this is a, the formative incident uh, for me when it comes to this idea of giving and receiving. Uh, for uh, uh, those of you who have been wondering, when Peter became such a researcher, I remember researching uh, for my Sony Walkman when I was in 10th grade. 
And uh, so I researched and I researched and I bought myself a sleek little Sony Walkman that was just a, a sliver bigger than a cassette tape. And so I had saved up for this. I had identified this particular model and I purchased it and was so excited to use it. And then that very same summer, my older sister, who I love quite a bit, uh, she's going to college. And she was going to Cornell, and Ithaca has a lot of hills and a lot of walking. And so she said, oh, Peter, I wish I had a Walkman. Now, she had no idea that I had just bought this Walkman, right? She said, oh, I wish I had a Walkman so I have something to listen to while I'm walking from class to class. And you can imagine how I felt, just torn. But I I thought about it, I wrestled with it, I prayed about it, and I said, here you go, for you. And I gave it to her. And that night, I sat there going, what have I done? Why have I done this? And I kid you not, that very night, I found this verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 26. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner... He gives the task of gathering, i.e. researching, and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. It's like, it was never mine. I thought it was mine. I did all this work, but the work itself was God's. And she enjoyed the Walkman, not I. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what I mentioned earlier. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as you did not? To be human, to be human is to receive, to say thank you, to give as conduits, and then to ask for more. That's our job. Our job isn't to be great. Our job isn't to have honor and glory and power and control. Our job isn't to amass wealth. It's very simple. We are needy, indeficit creatures. So open wide your hearts, your hands. Say, God, here I am in a bind again. I've done it again. Please, can I have some more? I always think about Oliver Twist when I say that. Application points. If you haven't read Oliver Twist, you won't know what I'm talking about. One application point, honor God in everything. Honor God in everything. Twice God says in this passage, honor me, honor me, honor me. How do you do it? One, first, say thank you for everything. You know, we say thank you sometimes. We say things like, man, this was definitely a God thing. What were the other things? Were they your things? So when you compartmentalize and call something divine, you're actually under-spiritualizing. Remember this. When you compartmentalize, you're under-spiritualizing. What do you have that it wasn't given to you? So always, at least in your heart, say thank you to God. Acknowledge that God is the giver of all good gifts, and he is faithfully working in your life. It's him. It's not you. It's not anybody else. It's God. So you say thank you for everything. Second, you ask all the time. 
Don't be embarrassed to ask. Don't feel like something is trite. Don't feel like this is too much or too many times. Ask all the time. Because when you ask, you set yourself up to give honor to God. Now, there's a couple of arguments like, it's, it's, just, it's just too many things. It's too trite. The petitions of a servant honor the master. It's not like we're commanding God to do it because we're the owners. We know we're not. And so asking as a servant is very different. And understand that grace is transformative. When God gives you grace, you can't possibly take advantage of it because eventually it will overpower you and transform you. It's those who are forgiven much that love much. Remember that. Okay? Third, you honor God in everything by being generous stewards and conduits of God's gifts. Now, I had a a 42nd year birthday last week. And uh, I got a bunch of, uh, you know, money, a few hundred dollars from different people and things and family members. Put them all together. And I decided, you know, I always get everything I want. I'm a grown-up. It's like my birthday every week. (laughs) It's not like I'm wishing. You know, I I do my homework. And if if it feels good, I, I get it. Feels right, I go for it. And so I, I just felt for the first time in my life, like I'm tired of receiving. And so I gathered all that money and I just bought stuff for other people. And it felt so good. It felt great. And I felt like that was like a life stage transition thing. It took 42 years for me to feel like, oh, okay, I'm full now. Oh, what's for dessert? Give generously. I'm excited to explore this new life stage. Consider others. Ask the question, how might this thought or decision or action or chain reaction of actions lead to exploitation or forgetfulness of others? It's really hard to get a little bit higher without stepping on somebody else. That's how the system works. And it's really a dilemma everything from eating to just being. It's really hard not to benefit from the exploitation of somebody else in some part of the world or in your life. We're all so connected and networked that way. But just start asking the question. Just start considering it. How might your carbon footprint, emotionally, spiritually, physically, be impacting others? Just at least ask the question. And then finally, don't be weird. Now, this is, a, if you're sitting here, you're not, you're not a Christian. You're still weird, but in different ways. But if you are a Christian, here's how you're particularly weird. Find a way to honor God without being weird or non-intellectual or corny or trite or denying complexities or overly simplifying something. There's nothing more weird than Christians just like talking about God like he's just in their back pocket. They just pull him out. Oh, how are you doing? Thank you for everything. Oh, and the universe doesn't exist for you. It exists for God. You happen to be sometimes on the receiving end of that. And it just so happens he's a loving God. But we talk about it like he's orbiting around us. And that's weird. Just know your own insignificance, the smallness of you as you interact with others. 
just layer on, on top of acknowledging God in everything, just layer on a little bit of humility. It'll go a long ways. It'll win a lot more people to Christ in the church. You all look so weird right now. Because you are. Stop it. <laughs> Let me end uh, with a quote from Henry Nouwen, a great author, thinker, philosopher, and servant of God, I believe. And uh, he's really taking this, this idea deeper. And he's saying, you know, it's not just behavior modification. It's not just mental tweak. But it's really an identity shift. Let me read it to us. Most of my life has been built around the idea that my value depends on what I do. I made it through grade school, high school, and university. I earned my degrees and awards, and I made my career. Yes, with many others, I fought my way to the lonely top of a little success, a little popularity, and a little power. But as I sit, but as I sit beside the slow and heavily breathing Adam, I start seeing how violent that journey was. So filled with desires to be better than others. So marked by rivalry and competition. So pervaded with compulsions and obsessions. And so spotted with moments of suspicion, jealousy, resentment, and revenge. Oh sure, most of what I did was called ministry. The ministry of justice and peace. The ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation. The ministry of healing and wholeness. But when those who want peace are as interested in success, popularity, and power as those who want war, what then is the real difference between war and peace? I want to invite you today to live life as an owned person rather than a person trying to own. I want to invite you to consider Jesus who gave up everything, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's an invitation for us to release that grasp of trying to be God in our lives. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Revelations twenty two thirteen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. John eight fifty eight. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Would you pray with me? God help us to walk away from this time and space today with a greater knowledge of how small yet how loved we are. Help us to experience you as Jehovah Jireh, the provider in our life, so that we might say thank you. And with generosity, give freely to others. And then in faith and trust, ask for more. And in all, help us to give honor to you because you really are the only one who deserves it. We give glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen.